0: Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. OG crew, we got Ryan, we got Eric, we got Matt. Now, right before we started recording, Eric, you said something about not liking women and thinking they (laughs) shouldn't be able to vote or anything like that. No, that wasn't it. You didn't say that? No, guys, I mis- I must've oh, misunderstood. Guys, you what happened- said, what happened so-
1: to Kyle's, Kyle's podcast? Kyle, no. Kyle goes,
2: Hey, out of all the, the girls that I know of the group, like, I think your wife, Rachel, I think she really likes me. I think she like, she like, we get along. I was like, she did until you were like, I hate women.
0: So, well, God, you just like, you tell stories like a guy with a hatchet, like cutting up an entire family. I, I, let's go back, we're at dinner, there's three wow. couples at dinner, and you know, I'm just like trying to say things to get a rise out of people, which I never do. That's like super not, what, go Because you
2: have the driest sense of humor. Like, I can never tell when you're joking sometimes. I'm like, is he serious?
0: I've never been accused of having a dry sense of humor. Have a dry sense I'm of humor? I'm very sarcastic. But dry is like British humor, like the British version of the office. I already called you an atheist last yeah, time, you did. so now I just called yeah. you a Brit. But yeah, I just like, I, look, I just looked at your wife with a glint in my eye and a smile on my face, and I just go, yeah, I just, I'm just not a huge fan of women. I just wish they wouldn't talk so much and really have any input on anything. That's and, how I like uh, to run my marriage. That's right, I told her so I thought she would be down with that because she stays with you. And then, yeah. of course, like you know, she just kind of smiled at it, but yeah, I guess it really bothered her.
2: It didn't bother
0: her that okay, much. Okay, good.
2: She just, I just thought it was funny.
0: I will say I've spent a lot of time, uh, in and around Matt's wife as well. And your wife's kind of a thug and I love it because oh. like, she will just say things sometimes I'm not going to say what she said to me on the 4th of July, but it had to do with, you know, the type of son y'all were going to raise. And I was just like, I was shocked and excited all at the same time because the, the way she described the type of boy she wants to raise. I, I know, was like, yeah, you
1: know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I love her for that too. I she, see Matt blushing. Right she's now. pretty great. Hey.
0: She is a lioness for sure. But hey, we're going to dig into Matthew 13 today before I say anything that gets me in trouble with any other feminists. Because here's the thing. I got a thing against feminists. Here, I'm just going right back into it. Because I was supposed to have a debate with like this big time left-leaning so-called Christian feminist, Kristen Copez Dumez or whatever, Jesus and John John Wayne. Wayne. And then she refused to debate me. And then they hooked me up with another debate with another feminist. And then she refused to debate me. So I just like, yeah, it doesn't, I already hate women apparently. So it's like, it didn't give me, do me any favors. I'm
2: going to point this out for my wife. So she knows okay. she's not a feminist. She's not a feminist. So, no, She is not a feminist. My wife honestly doesn't believe that a woman should be president. That's like the least feminist you could be. Even, even I'm like, I don't see an issue with that. But then well, she's who's that like, one
0: girl, uh, Pearl something. She's a redheaded gal that like Pearl she's Davis. <clears throat> Pearl Davis. Was, like yeah. she's, big anti-feminist and she's like super advocating for the fact that women shouldn't be able to vote. She's like, look, things would be so much better if women couldn't vote. And when you look at elections, they only show the map where men are the ones doing the electing. Like it's typically all Republicans or or conservatives that are, that are put in there, but she's just like, look, that's not the point. She's not a Christian at all. Like, but she's just like, yeah, society has certainly not gotten better since the, the gender revolution and, you know, equality in all these different areas, like first, second, third wave now into fourth wave feminism. She's like, you're telling me things are better for culture and the family as a whole. She doesn't get it.
2: We let 18 year olds vote. Like you can live with your mom and dad and be on their insurance till you're 26, but you can vote when you're 18 like 26 really? Wow. Yeah. 26. I'm like, you shouldn't be able to vote until you like move out.
0: I will say (laughs) like, he says some ridiculous things but Matt Walsh has pointed out before that, uh, you should have to pass a test to be able to vote. And people think that that is like sacrilege to say, but I'm like, I actually could fully get behind that. And this is why, because if you spend, so like, let's say an election's coming up and you spend hours Listening to candidates, reading their platforms, maybe even asking them questions at town halls and all those things. And then it comes to vote day and your vote counts for exactly one vote. And I know morons, this literally happened in 2020. They went into the booth and voted for Kanye West for president because they thought it was funny. So you're well informed, vote and you know the different branches of government, you know how all these things work and how a bill becomes law. And then you walk in there and pull the lever for somebody. Well, some moron just canceled out your vote by voting for a rapper. So it's like I'm kind of down with that. I think you should have to
2: pay taxes to vote. Ooh! Like,
0: are we hitting all the controversial subjects on this podcast? You you should literally
2: have to pay taxes. That's very bigoted of you. It's not bigoted. It's like,
0: yeah, somehow it is. I I agree with Matt, but I don't know why. (laughs) And the bald head doesn't help either. Should we talk about? Should we talk about the Bible? Should we talk about (laughs) parables or like? Oh, you need
3: to transition us. Well,
1: Pearl Davis brings up a lot of good points, but she doesn't have the solution. The solution is right in here. So let's get into that.
0: Oh well, okay, Matt. Okay. The thing is, is like, like, I can't, right. Yeah. I mean, I can literally hear in my headphones, your mustache scratching across the mic, which is like, you know, you're going to have to kind of figure that one out, but yeah, I'm going to have to have you on for all of these. If you're just going to keep having these silky transitions, can you, can you dedicate every single month to coming back on here Mm. every week? Can you do that? Mm. All right. Back I that. know your wife. I know the answer to that one. <laughs> His wife's oh. a lioness. it <laughs> <Okay. ain't laughs> happened. So this is what we're going to do. So chapter thirteen of of uh, the book of Matthew is interesting in terms of how it's kind of set up. Because it has like a parable and then there's kind of like a little break explaining parables and then it explains the specific parable. So we're gonna skip around just a little bit today, but we'll we'll obviously signpost for you so you know where we're going. So Matt, if you would, let's start off with the purpose of parables. So that's starting in verse ten and goes through verse seventeen of Matthew thirteen.
1: You got it. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given for to the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. that says you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull
0: Okay, so let's open this up. I feel like we're gonna hang out here for a little bit, but the Reformation Study Bible, I thought, had a really good note on this section. It basically said, I'm paraphrasing, that if you have Jesus, okay, so if you have faith in Christ, parables will deepen your understanding of Christ in relation to you, right? But if you don't have Christ, that you just won't get it, and the parables will make you more confused. So even if you earnestly go to the parable with a deep desire to understand, You will not if you don't have Christ. But this obviously opens up the discussion of, you know, which we kind of tabled a couple of weeks ago, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the tension between sovereignty and election and um, free will and decisions and making in those types of things. But this entire part where Jesus is explaining the purpose of parables, he's talking about how understanding is a gift, that it doesn't just... I guess the the way I would describe it is it doesn't just happen. You don't just get there by your intellectual might and horsepower that understanding these parables and understanding the sacrifice of Jesus is a gift. So there's not an exact question there. I'm just curious what you guys think about this section before we dig into individual parables.
3: I was reminded of uh, Matthew seven, six as pearls are not given to dogs uh, or swine. You don't cast them before them. Um, that was one of the things that came up and, I just wrote out next to it. It said, "Faith. Is it a prerequisite to revelation or to understanding revelation? Say that again?: Is faith a prerequisite? Oh, to understanding gotcha. revealed truth. So I was kind of in the same, same boat. I, I just it, when I was looking back through like all the healings and things like that, it was faith. people were coming to him with faith. Um and because of that faith, he says your faith has made you well. Go send no more, et cetera. Um so are these people coming because they are they're hearing about these healings and they're hearing about these wonderful things that this guy's doing, they're like, Yeah, let's go check it out, you know? And they're looking for entertainment, but they're not there to seek they're not really there they're just there to be entertained and not really there to have their hearts changed, their minds changed, their souls changed.
1: Yeah. I What's interesting about this is I'm, I, love, I love commentary on these things because I feel like it helps me understand a lot better. And, and my, my uh, MacArthur commentary says that the veiling of these things is an act of mercy and also an act of judgment. It's a mercy in that it is, or it's a judgment in that they don't understand, but then it's a mercy in that they are being um, saved from hearing the truth, which would lead to more condemnation. Yeah. So I th- thought that was an interesting point. I've never thought of it that way.
3: That's exactly how I saw it.
0: Well, if y'all just agree the entire time, this isn't going to be that fun. It so, just,
3: <laughs> just made sense. I mean, so we know that we have general revelation. And that's everywhere around us. So, um, Would you guys say that all people um, at some point in their life are, have to ask themselves the basic questions of life? Like, well, like what am I doing here? <clears throat> and what's wrong with me, and where am I going? What's my purpose? Um, do, when people ask those questions, um, is, does, does God incline to respond to those in some form or fashion? Or, I mean, how does a, how does a Calvinist look at that um, if a person's asking those questions? Or can they even ask those questions? I, I assume everybody asks those questions at some point.
0: Well, before you guys answer, I want you to marinate on that a little bit. So elucidate your point a little bit further, just before we started recording, <clears throat> I saw a video of, I can't remember how to say the guy's last name, Dan, Dan Balzerian, Balzerian or whatever. So this is like a, he's like a internet playboy type guy. Like he's constantly got these videos of him riding around on like, you know, tanks, shooting guns. He's always surrounded by these beautiful, gorgeous women. You know, every time he does an interview, he's talking about his sexual exploits and oh, I had sex this many times in one day and he's always on these yachts with all these women, blah, blah, blah. like living the life. Single guy supposedly, you know, has won his money with these offshore poker games and these high level situations, right? So the most carnal of manly pleasures, this guy has done it all. I just saw a recent interview. I think he was with uh, one of the Paul brothers, Logan Paul, Uh, the not the boxer, but the, uh, well, I guess they both box. It doesn't matter. And so... He's describing like, hey, I've done everything I've ever wanted to do. Like I've got money, I have sex with all these beautiful women, like I I have everything I could ever want, but he's basically talking about but I'm I'm empty, like and I don't know why. And you can see Logan Paul kind of looking down cuz you could tell he's kind of per- perhaps thinking the same thing for himself. You know, tons of money, tons of leverage, like businesses, women, and but this damn guy, he's like and again he's describing it in these very, very vulgar ways, but he's just like If you ever think that you're going to be the exception to the rule, that if you were to be able to get all these things, it would make you happy. It's like, just listen to me. It's not going to make you happy. But it seemed like he was stopping short. He would get to those questions, but he would maybe stop short as to why do I feel empty? It was just like, well, I guess there's nothing at the top of the mountain is what it kind of sounded like. So just to kind of push your point further, but he was kind of asking you guys for the Calvinist perspective on asking those deeper questions.
1: I mean, I I think everybody has to come to grips with those questions. I mean, every, everybody who lives is, is has, has at least thought about that once. Like, why are we here? What is the meaning of life? What's ha- what happens after I die? Like, these are things that are natural for us to wrestle with. Um, which I think is an argument for evangelism. We're called to preach. The word and the truth, but it's God who opens the eyes for sure. And I think I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to sit in God's seat and say He's not going to answer people who ask, but He's the one that opens their eyes, and He's the one that that gives them the understanding. But I think right here is a pretty black and white
2: right there. What what Jesus is saying. The way I look at it is, you know, are they even coming to God with those answers or with those questions? Um, Usually. If you're looking at somebody outside of scripture, who's asking those questions, um, they look at different philosophies. They look at different philosophers, you know, they might go into Nietzsche or Kierkegaard or whoever you want to talk about. Um, and I kind of notice those people because they will be like, you know how we're kind of considered the Calvinists of the table because of our theology kind of leans towards that. They will sit there and they will focus on that philosopher and the way that they do looked at life and that's where they're going to get their answers. They're not going to get their answers from the Bible unless they go and seek it. Um, some people will be like, ah, I'm, I'm going to go seek it in, in, in scripture or somebody's finds out, you know, or someone's invited to church and they hear the message and their eyes are opened and they go and seek more. Um, so I think it just comes down to are those people even asking God and fast God they want to know what God's think. what God thinks it's right there in scripture.
1: I agree with that to a certain point, but I think God reveals himself who he's going to reveal himself to. Oh, I agree with you too. Even if they're not seeking God, I think God can use you, me, anybody to go speak truth to that person who is seeking those things out. Again, another call to evangelism. We should be sharing and we should be asking questions and taking questions because God's going to reveal to who he wants to reveal.
2: He may not reveal through you. That's true. He may reveal through me. Yeah, that's true. You know, and so that's where, it's that's why you just don't stop. You just keep going because, hey, maybe that person didn't, God didn't reveal through me, but maybe he reveals through Matt. Um, So, yeah, but we also have our scripture and we also know where truth comes from. And a lot of people have come to Christ by reading scripture. And I, I think that's what it comes down to with the parables is, will God open your eyes to the words that I'm speaking, to the words that you're reading or the words that Matt may speak, you know, is he going to open our eyes to that? But it is also a gift. Like,
1: I mean, I think Kyle's mentioned this before. People in, like, Muslim countries who've never read the Bible, Jesus comes to them in a dream, and they come to Christ. Very common. So, yep. like, <clears throat> I, yeah. These that, that are people happens. that don't
0: have access to the Bible. So yeah, you'll have,
2: That's not something you lie about in that culture either. That's like no. that, that gets you killed. So. And, and I agree with you. I mean, Christ is going to work certain miracles and certain ways that, you know, we may not comprehend. I mean, we're talking about our savior who died and was resurrected three days later. So him coming to somebody in a dream rather than them reading
3: the Bible or hearing you and I spread the gospel can
2: still totally happen.
3: Yeah. One of the things in this, just on kind of a sidebar, but uh, I've got a friend that's a, gosh, I don't even know if he would call himself agnostic anymore, but he, and I've had discussions about, you know, about the afterlife and whatnot. And he's just pretty much convinced there's no God. Uh, and um, he, he feels like everything that can be explained will be explained. And I, it, it really frustrates me because he's willing to say, you know, I'll go to my deathbed not knowing all the answers because I'm certain at some point they'll, we'll figure it out kind of thing and the naturalism and all that will figure out everything that that bothered me that and I, I just uh, it hurts me too because I know I know this guy and I really really like him but I'm just like man you're you're believing a lie that you're you're willing to die on that that lie that eventually will figure it out I mean I know that some, I don't know who it is some famous guy has unleashed AI to try to answer the unanswerable questions and whether it happens or not, I don't know. But um, and, and, and just an interesting kind of sidebar. I, I know that didn't really fit exactly, but um, just.
1: No, that's a really good point because that's, that's the antith- antithesis to the God of the gaps is the scientific community, the atheist scientific community specifically will say, well, we just don't understand it all yet. We will. We're just not there yet. And to me, that's just like when you talk about, well, I, I don't know what it is, so it's God. Like, the God, the God of the gaps that, that you talk about sometimes, Kyle. Like, that's the same thing. Well, we just don't understand. Science hasn't caught up yet, but it will.
2: So, so they so. have faith in science. Yeah. So, that's I mean, scientism. They, that, that's yeah. not, yeah. <clears throat> that's the funny thing about your friend is he doesn't believe your faith, but he has faith in nothing that thinks it's going to come back to something. It's also because
0: it's not falsifiable. So if someone says, well, science will eventually figure that out. You can't prove or disprove that statement. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a stop of the conversation. It's considered to be an ace of spades argument, but it's like, it's basically vacuous. It's
2: like when people use whataboutism Mm -hmm. and you're arguing (laughs) just to stop it.
0: Well, the thing is, is like, typically whataboutism is an effective way. Like, okay, well, this is this way what about this situation that is exactly the same circumstantially, but has a different outcome? Yeah. Like, but then people just say their argument is that's what about It's yeah. like, that's not an argument. That's not an argument. You're, it's you're a very des- lazy argument. You're describing something without prescribing something. Yeah, like correct. This. I did say, what about <clears throat> this? Can you answer that now? Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, let's actually dig in. <clears throat> well, before we dig into the parable of the sower, I did want to kind of throw out there that uh, we have worked with Crossway to make sure that if guys like you want to start your own forging table, that you can do so. So we have a forging table starter set uh, that is going to be in the show notes. There are five books. There's a Bible, there's a devotional, there's a journal, and there's a couple of other books. It's an absolutely fantastic set of books, but Most of the times, if you were to buy this by yourself, you would have to pay full price for everything. But Crossway is allowing us to bundle all five of these books together. And then you get 50% off of the entire bundle so that you could start your own forging table. So all you have to do is go to crossway.org to create a free Crossway Plus account. Put all these books into your cart. And then whenever you go to checkout, just put in the promo code BSSP50. That's Bravo Sierra, Sierra Papa 50 to get 50% off at checkout. That is all gonna be right there in the show notes. But we need to go ahead and dig into the, but, par- go ahead. Yeah, I, Matt. I
1: have one more point on this. Like this is, this is something that's very, is a very joyful thing to think about. And this is where he ends, <clears throat> where Matthew ends talking about, um, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And I, I'm reminded of that Shane and Shane song, sing unto the Lord, where he talks about what they knew by faith. We know by name that Jesus is King. and we don't have to know by faith of what is coming because we know it has already come and we should find real joy in that because we do, we do see it. We, we know that Christ is King and that he was here. He walked and he died and was resurrected. That's Absolutely. That's a cool thing to think about.
0: Well, let's dig into the parable of the sower. So um, I guess what we're going to do is there's the parable of the sower itself. And then there's a section where the parable is actually explained. So we're just going to read those back to back. And then just discuss the parable, because there's, there's several parables in Matthew 13. So, Eric, if you will read verses 1 through 9, and then we will skip immediately over to verses 18 through 23. So, 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23, please.
3: That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a Sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and it devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when they, when the sun was, when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear.
1: Now verse eighteen.
3: Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what the sown this is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, in another, thirty.
0: So let's dig in here. So, uh, the word of the kingdom, that's the seed here. <clears throat> With the first one, the ones that were just along the path, that's like people that hear the word, but they don't understand it, okay? Then we have the second one, you know, along the rocks, it's like, you know, they're very passionate about it, but there's no follow through. So it's just kind of they spring up quickly and then die out quickly. Then you have the one among the thorns. And then obviously, as it says, you're basically distracted by material things. And then obviously you have the good fruit uh, that comes from the good soil, which is evidence of salvation, yada, yada, yada. There's some debate over which of the four groups uh, are saved, right? You know, some people are like, well, you could be in group three, but be saved, blah, blah. It seems pretty clear that he's giving examples of these first three as, look, you haven't gotten there. You haven't received your salvation because you haven't been in good soil. Uh, I want y'all to take this wherever you want to go. I do want to make sure that we talk about the rocky ground because as I was reading through the actual parable of the seed that fell among the rocky ground where there wasn't soil it sprang up quickly but then it didn't have the root strength or depth to withstand a little bit of pressure from the sun i immediately thought of a lot of churches that focus on passion
1: that's exactly what i and, that's exactly where i went yeah. yeah
0: they they focus on the really good experience right a really good environment a great concert a great message And again, we've talked about that a lot on the show. Some people get really uncomfortable with it, but whenever you go and it's the same thing every week, it's the concert with the Ted talk and you're not getting that depth. So a problem comes like 2020 where there's COVID and how do we respond to the government? And when George Floyd dies in police custody, overdose in police custody, and this, we we decide we're going to burn down all the cities uh, in the world, specifically in America, how's the church going to respond to that? Well, if you are one of those seeds that have fallen, fallen among the rocky path, you don't have roots. And so you will go whichever way the culture is going. And then that's what we've seen basically as an outworking of a lot of these kind of seeker sensitive movements. So I do want to make sure we, we comment on that, but then we can comment I, on the rest of it as I well. I say
2: we start there. I mean, it kind of reminds me of a couple episodes back when you talked about your friend finally went through a hard time, lost his job, and yeah. just totally started blaming God. And it, or questioning God, is there even a God? And so it makes you wonder, you know, what kind of what kind of foundation was he going through at church right. to where yeah. you know is he sitting in these secret sensitive? Here's a bunch of milk. You're you you do you, you be you. It's funny about you know. that. Is
0: he was either not going to church or going to Craig Rochelle's church. Those yeah. were, so,
2: yeah, <laughs> I was going to throw out Craig, but you just know what? To be that way. Let's, let's throw it out there. Um, but yeah, but I mean, I hear you hundred percent on that. I mean, like we've got to, as our churches, we've got to start discipling better. I mean, I see Craig's, I see Craig Rochelle's, how do you want to say it? What he's trying to do. And he's trying to build up trying to he's trying to bring the word out
0: he's trying to decrease the barriers to entry so much to where intellectually you're not going to have problems or yeah you're not gonna
2: you're gonna you're gonna hear the little bit of what you want to hear but some people are going to hear it and actually because i'm a product of craig rochelle's church i mean i i i became a believer um i uh i wasn't discipled very well and I went back into, I I would say you could throw me back into the third person. I went back into the the world, you know, but then I saw, you know, the beauty of Christ and and, and who he was probably by the time I'm 33 years old. So I already knew I saw the message, but then it took somebody actually disciple me. You know, it took people to actually pour into me for me to actually kind of grow in my faith and grow in my spirituality. So, I mean, I don't want to throw down secret churches so bad, but they they are an issue. If you're sitting in a secret church and that's where you're just sitting, you're going to, you're going to watch your friends fall away. Yeah.
3: Discipleship. uh, Exactly. The word that came to mind. I I just, I I know that the church is there to edify and to build each other up and whatnot. But um, discipleship, man, if we're not discipling our kids, if we're not being discipled, um, then that can be a problem. Like my, my family needs to see how I respond in different types of situations um, that I don't fall apart um, when faith is needed. My kids need to know the word. And I, this was in our text thread in the last day or two, just how uh, someone said it, it was so sad that people don't read the word. I said, no, it's not sad. It's tragic. It it's tragic that if you don't, if you don't know the word, enough then you're going you're gonna fall for any crap that comes this you know your way it, it, it creates an inability to discern you're right exactly and 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 you just you you fall prey to whatever whatever the shifting cultural norm is or or, or the the half truths that are that are told um so anyways, when I was sitting there listening to you, I was just gone man it is so important that the fathers and and their and their household are catechizing that are discipling that are consistently in the word with their children, teaching them how to become followers of Christ, but also independent in in being able to understand and then respond to the word. Like all, half these things, you know, the what we're reading here is just it seems like it's hitting here. Like I immediately I thought in one ear, out the other. Yep. You know, and yep. in, it comes in, but it, it it gets stuck like right here, right at their heart. And and then, then there's, there's ones in the in the soil. The, the, good, the good soil that are going out and actually it's head to heart to hands. Right. And
0: Matt, I, I know you want to hop in here real quick. Like, I want to make sure that we always, when we get the chance to differentiate, we need to. There are churches that you could easily put in the seeker sensitive category that take discipleship seriously. For sure. And so it's like, <clears throat> yes, they got the rock concert. They don't have the deepest theological expository preaching. But as soon as they get you in the door, they take the process of shepherding you mm-hmm. very, very seriously. And then there's those that don't at all, like they put you in the annual report because you raised your hand and, you know, they, they get you to donate and they try to convince you that if, you know, you tithe for 90 days and you don't see God bless you in that 90 day time period, that they'll give you your money back, like your money back guarantee at some sort of furniture shop. There are those types of places, but we're not saying that there is one way to do church and that it fits for everybody as you're a perfect example, Ryan, like you've, you've really done you know dove into the theological world but you could really trace back your start of your christian walk to the ministry of craig rochelle that we're currently critiquing right so i just want to make sure we're being very very clear as to what we're saying that just because your church has a large parking lot and has a really nice speaker system does not mean that they're not preaching a true gospel and they're not discipling so i wanted to go there
1: no i well you said catechism and i think a lot of people get antsy when they hear that word but i would say That our kids will be catechized is not a choice we get to make. They will be catechized. Make no mistake. We get to choose if it's by us and 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 how intentional we're gonna be with that. And that's that's a conviction on my heart, just as it is a call to everybody else to to catechize their children. But emotionalism is can be very sinister in its attempt to shock people into following what they think they should be doing, and there is, there can be a manipulation, and like Kyle's saying, like, it's not all churches, but we do need to be careful, and like you said, Eric, getting into the word is one of the most important things you could do as a Christian, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, I, nothing new is under the, or there's nothing new under the sun. I think we are in need of a reformation. Of sorts where just as in the 1500s and and prior, the common man didn't have access to the word because it was kept from them. We now in modernity have a, a supercomputer with thousands of versions of the Bible on it, yet we don't have time or we don't want to read because the guy in the pulpit is interpreting the word for us. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous that's a dangerous place to be. And
0: think about William Tyndale, who was yeah. executed in England, and you know for translating the Bible for the common man. I, I wanted to make one quick point, but go, but ahead, Ryan.
2: I just want to. I kind of want to do a segue in how this kind of the uh, seeds among the rock, and then moving into the thorns. There's a segue into that that I'm seeing in the modern church today. And so with the modern church today, you know, I heard a pastor kind of explain, he goes, This is the modern church. We're no longer the steep or, you know, the modern church was the steeple and the cross. Yeah. And it's like, that's not the modern church anymore. The modern church looks like a department store. And we have these biblical messages that we're throwing out, and I'm I'm talking specifically on seeker churches of God is for you or God God loves you, which is all true. God is for you and God loves you. Never take that away. But when you're talking to a seeker, a person who is seeking. When they hear God is for you, they hear God is for me now, not God is for me to change because they're no longer talking about change anymore. They're talking about God is for you because he wants to help you out of this hard situation. God is for you because he wants to help you through your financial situation. God is for you because he wants, he knows you're stressed out. And it's like, you know, God's going to be with you through that process, but that's not God is for. God is for you to see who you are and why you need him and that you need to change and become a Christian. And so we're seeing that in the seeker movement. And now we're seeing people deconstruct because this is the message that they hear and they're sitting in these churches. And now these churches are becoming the thorns around these bushes, giving them the wrong advice.
0: When I think you're absolutely right, That that's such a good way of putting it. But even more specifically, um, actually, you know what? No, we'll, we'll just let that kind of lay on its own because I think you laid it out there very perfectly and how it relates to what Matt was just talking about. You, you called it emotionalism, right? <clears throat> the problem with that, and you know, we're not talking about every part of this parable, but you know, eventually, you know, we have to move on as well. But it's the emotional manipulation that you just mentioned. That's why I have a lot of problems with churches that, when they start their prayer at the end or their altar call, they kind of they bump the music up and it's really dramatic, and the organ and the piano. I know that everyone has their own particular style, and you know, hey, that may just be my preference. I feel like it's manipulative. I feel like you're you're infusing. Um, emotion using music, which is a, a, a manipulative thing. You're using that to try to create this feeling inside of people as you're calling them to repentance and calling them to Christ. But also, I guess, again, that may just be preference, but I want to go to the larger point of the chasing of emotion. So, I remember talking to Tyler Glaze, you know, you you know, who he is, and I'm sitting there. And so if you're listening to this shout out to Tyler Glaze, uh, he was one of the first guys that kind of mentored me. He was like a year or two older than me in college. And, you know, I really struggled with assurance of salvation and, you know, I kind of got bogged down with that. But I remember saying, man, when I got saved, like it was, it was like this big emotional thing. And then I remember being at like Falls Creek, which is like the big, you know, church camp thing here in the state of Oklahoma. And it's like, you know, every night you're worshiping and you're crying and you're rededicating your life to the Lord. And I can't wait till I get home and all that. But now it's just Tuesday. And I, I don't feel that same way. And he said something to me that was really profound. He's like, why are you trying to just get that emotion again? he's like, you're, he's like, you're just chasing an emotion. It's like your faith can't be based on how you felt one time. It's just a cookie. And that's the thing. That's this right here. That's the parable of the sower to where it's like, you go watch, uh, you know, you go to the passion conference or you go to, you know, some, uh, Bethel concert or you go something like that. And you, you're stirred up with emotion, but then you have nothing. There's no basis for your faith. There's no follow through. It's, it could be a starting point, you know, Ryan, with what you're talking about with Life Church, maybe that's mm-hmm. a spark, yep. but if it's just a spark and then little sparklets from there on out, like, man, you're going to burn up. The sun's going to get you. It's that, like marriage. It is. Exactly. Exactly. Marriage like starts marriage. out yeah. <laughs> as Everybody's literally so, on the same yeah. page. Yeah. yeah.
2: It, marriage starts out as a spark. I mean, yeah. you're in spark your- Spark of attraction. Spark of attraction. You want to be with each other all the time, but as time goes on, you know, things start to change. You start to change and it's being in it being in it and just being there and just working through it. It's work. Your salvation is done by grace, but trying to follow Christ does have some work in that. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you
3: marry, if you marry for charisma and looks, yeah, good luck. Oh, <laughs> Cause <laughs> when she's, she's 80, she'll,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, but, but that is a really fantastic point because that, that doesn't mean, Hey, wives stop taking care of yourself when you get married. It doesn't mean, Hey, husbands stop taking care of yourself once you get married. But like, I remember this guy at this, this church conference, and I've talked about this before a marriage conference. And he was like, when people ask me, what kind of women are you into? I describe how my wife looks at that moment as Gary Thomas. Okay. It was at your church whenever you actually did that.
1: Is is it the, uh, if, if my perception of beauty is my wife, like, like when she's 50, I'll still like, she'll still be beautiful. And like, I won't have eyes for other women because she is my definition of beauty. Is that Kind of what he was saying. That,
0: that's basically, I don't know that I, it was that, the same guy. I, I butchered guy. that, I'm sure. Sorry, no, 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 sorry, but it, it's the same exact concept. It yeah. may have not been, but it was at your church where, when I went to this conference. I don't think it was Gary Thomas that said it, but the, the the overall point being is if you base it off that initial attraction, when you're both 21 years old and you know in really great shape and everything's perfect and all that, at some point the, that fades away and you have to understand what is there to this. I remember Pat, Patrick bet David got a huge podcast. He was, um, this was, I think he'd become a Christian, but then he was still like sleeping with his girlfriend. And then he suggested to his girlfriend, Hey, let's, let's not have sex for a month. And she was like flummoxed. She's like, why would we not do that? The sex is great. He's like, yeah, that's why I want to not have sex for a month. Cause I want to see, is there anything here? Like, are we just really compatible sexually or are we compatible relationally?" And when you know it, after 30 days, it became very apparent that their one thing in common was sex with each other and they, they didn't continue the relationship from there. But the same thing with this, it's like, I don't want to be crude in in my example, but it's like going to that church where you get that, you know, very exciting singular experience and you keep chasing the experience without chasing the relationship that is the basis for that experience. Does that make sense? It makes
1: perfect sense. And that's why worship pastors should be held to a high, high standard. Amen. your worship music should be theologically sound because Amen again. most people will sing their heresies before
2: they believe them yeah on and monday they're not humming the sermon that's right They're humming that tune
0: absolutely okay. um man okay i'm gonna let you guys kind of decide we're like 40 minutes in so we literally got about wow. 20 minutes left and we're just through the parable of the sower <laughs> um so th- this is what i'm going to do a little bit of an executive decision here so let's look at the parable of the weeds and the mustard seed and leaven together if, because yeah. they kind of have a similar, similar bend to them. Um, but just so you don't have to read them all, uh, this is what we'll do. Uh, Ryan, if you will read parable of the weeds, 24 through 30, and then Matt, if you will read the mustard seed and leaven right after that, that's 31 through 35. And then we will, uh, talk about them together.
2: He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said, master, did you not see, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to them, said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along the, along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And harvest time I will tell the reapers gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned.
0: But gather the wheat into my barn. Now the mustard seed in eleven verse thirty one.
1: He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that birds of the air come to make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation
2: of the world.
0: Okay, so let's talk about them together. Y'all get it.
2: So basically these two parables are kind of the same. Um, It's talking about the gradual growth of Christ's kingdom. So it's talking about bringing in
3: the, um, the Gentiles into that kingdom that's what i got from it yeah um one of the interesting things that i i looked i looked up i was like well what is, what is this stuff that's growing up with the with the grain with the i assume it's wheat and uh, there's actually a plant called darnell ryegrass cockle mm-hmm. it looks very very similar to wheat and it Typically grows where wheat grows, uh, and yet it's poisonous. That's hmm. yeah, interesting to me um, that there's actually something like that. But
0: um, well, I mean, verse thirty, let both grow together. I thought that was very interesting. Like you're, it's not like hey, have no regard for the bad stuff that's growing, but it's like there will be a separation.
1: Okay, well, this is Matthew three, right? This is what this is what I go back to when John, when John is talking about. I'll baptize you with with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me. My will baptize you with the Holy spirit and fire. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the, his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire.
3: Yeah. What's interesting too, is when we, let me see if I can find it here with the mustard, mustard seed says it's like a grain mustard. sowed in the field, it's smallest of seeds. Uh, when it's grown larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I look at those birds as maybe evil coming to nest amongst the tree branches, just like the darnell growing amongst the wheat.
2: And I think MacArthur kind of pointed out, I, I read this in his commentary, it's like he's talking about that Dardanelle's being put in there, or the, the weed is being put in there by his enemies. And so that's like Satan trying to deceive the church, trying to make the church decipher from what is true and what is false. And so I think we're kind of seeing that. It's like you don't want to call out somebody's salvation, and this kind of goes back to looking at the fruit. But when you look at it, you want to be able to decipher what is true teaching, what is correct teaching, and what is wrong teaching. And I think you know, those weeds are going to sprout up, even within the faithful.
3: And I also put down um, on my sheet here that I've got to prepare my kids to know what, what the enemy believes and to try to understand people around them. One, so they can evangelize to them. Two, so they can have some logic to their arguments. But three, so they're not caught off guard when, when they find themselves around enemies or around evil. Um, I don't want them to live in a bubble, I guess is my point
2: you want them to be able to discern what is right and wrong. So through their salvation, you know, or through their, their walk within the Christian church, they don't become dis disenchanted with, you know, a false teacher. Cause I know many people who've like went to a church and we, I was with them and we, we learned under this guy. And a lot of people left the church. Some people left the faith, you know? And so it's like, we never left the faith because we found our, our calling through Christ. I'm just I'm just wondering if those people were discipled enough, they ended up becoming the uh, the seeds among the ground.
0: That's good stuff there. There's certainly um, a lot in those two things. Uh, again, I think I take solace in verse 30. There, you know, let both grow together until the harvest. And so I know some people. Obviously, I'm I'm one of them. Whenever you see weeds pop up, like maybe a gigantic weed, like a pastor of a church or something like that, to where it's just like, wait a minute, like this is. This is a problem, but there will be a separation uh, of these groups. And if you even go into the parable, <clears throat> excuse me, the parable the weeds explained, um, we see that in 36 through 43. It talks about how the um, I can't see it right here, but it was where the angels are basically going to be part of that process of right. separating okay. uh, them out. And so mm-hmm. this will certainly be something where <clears throat> the lawbreakers are going to be separated out, and uh, he says in verse 42, they will be put in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the parable of the hidden treasure and also the parable of the pearl of great value, because I think these obviously connect, and they're both very, very quick. So, Eric, if you can hit uh, 44 through 46. <clears throat>
3: the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it
0: so of all the parables these seem to be like the easiest ones to understand it's like okay so salvation is hidden but once found is supremely valuable and it's worth everything like I don't want to belittle these parables at all, but these these of all of them are the easiest to understand. It to, I mean, there's nothing here really to like sift through to get the, the reasoning.
3: Yeah, the, I, I was reminded of John fifteen thirteen it says, "Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for his friends." And so, um, that that came to mind as I read those about just Jesus giving us the ultimate sacrifice. He 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 was he is the pearl, uh, but but he also loves us that much that he's willing to go that far for our salvation. Yeah.
1: I, I, I agree. I mean, it is, it is a call to leave and lose everything. And I, I think reading the Puritans is really beneficial in this. And one of the, one of their great cries was all of life to the glory of God. There is nothing more important Than giving all of my life to Christ. It's not Sundays. It's not Wednesdays.
3: It's everything. And yeah. I'm reminded of the rich young ruler. Yep. You had all those treasures
2: and Christ said, give it up. Come follow me. He didn't want to give up the treasure. He didn't want to sell the field. He said deuces. He didn't want to give up everything for the pearl. He said he wanted to sit where he was at. So it's kind of a sad situation, but it's, it's true.
0: I think what these parables also hit is to where okay, these are of great value. So, you know, he was going to sell all he had to go and buy the field, okay? He was going to sell what he had to go buy this pearl. Whenever you make a declaration for Christ and put your faith in him, what you're what you're doing is you're saying I am sacrificing every last bit of my life. And so there aren't secret places anymore. Your finances aren't not that they were secret to begin with as if God couldn't see what you were doing. But God is going to require everything of you, whether that be your time, your family, your health, your money, your attention, your direction, everything. And so it's easy to kind of read through those and think, ah, you know, it just kind of is what it is. Yeah. It's, it's of great value. No, no, no. It's of all consuming value. Like this isn't a Lamborghini. This isn't a mansion. This isn't, you know, going on a cruise for you know a year. This is something that is so valuable that it, it, it is essentially impossible for you to attain it without understanding that I have to give all. Because that's what it says. The word all is used in both of these to where it's like, hey, I didn't have to sell most of my stuff like, to, in order to get this thing. It was like, I require all of it. Just a great reminder for us. Um, let's do real quick. Let's hit the parable of the net. Um, Matt, if you could hit parable of the net, that's 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is
1: like a net. That was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace.
2: In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Somebody want to call Andy Stanley and let uh, let him know that Jesus just drew a line right here, not a <laughs> circle.
0: Lines Uh, and circles, that guy. (laughs) Uh, Every time he opens his mouth, uh, he seems to be uh, drawing lines that look like circles, I I, guess.
1: I think a lot of these parables can give us solace. And in the fact that, I mean, I I think it's, I think Paul in his second letter to Timothy, doesn't he say that those false teachers will be successful and their ministries will grow? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. uh, So we can take solace in, in the fact that there will be a reckoning. There will be a harvest. There will be a separation. And it's not our job to do that. I think it's our job to call people away from those types of people. Yeah, because that's sad. There. But you know, it you is, it's tragic, yeah, as I you mean, said earlier. It's
3: like, okay, this guy wants to go ruin his life, but why does he need to drag these thousands and thousands and thousands of people down the road with him? They are deceiving and
2: being deceived. I look at that parable and the end the age will be sorted. The redeemed and the unredeemed, the repentant and the unrepentant. And that's what it is. Mm-hmm. That's the line that's drawn. It's not some big circle. Cause <laughs> even when you're in a circle, you can be outside the circle, you know? And so and, the line's been drawn. You're either going to repent or you're going to be unrepenting. And he said it earlier, uh, chap- a few chapters ago. And the new you, and old treasure. If you're, if you're not with me, you're yeah. against me. Well, new and old treasure kind of goes after Andy as well. So can I, I read should. that one? Go for or, it. Yeah. So have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. So basically we're talking about, you know, Christ came to fulfill the old Testament. You know, he is the new Testament, but he's not throwing out the old to bring in the new. He wants you to see and understand the insights of how the new Testament brings out the old Testament. So he's not unhitching from the old Testament. So he wants you to see why the old Testament is beautiful into what he's bringing in with the new Testament and what he's fulfilling in that. Yeah. So he tells that in a parable, which I don't think some people understand that one, not saying any names. So, but yeah, so you act like this isn't the names.
0: After You already said a name. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not seeing any names right now. I mean, I may have just recently. Just thirty seconds.
2: Ago. Right, I'm saying names. Andy Stanley. There he is. So,
0: well, hey, let's hit this last section before we close out Matthew 13. So, Eric, if you would do uh, Jesus rejected at Nazareth, that is verses 53 through the end, which is 58. 58. Yeah.
3: And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. In his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief.
0: So you want to talk about a spirit of diminishment. Typically I, I use that in the context of when people doubt themselves, right? So they will speak and like, Oh, I can never do that. And I'm never going to accomplish that's a spirit of diminishment, but they are speaking onto Jesus, onto Jesus's entire ministry, the entire movement, this spirit of diminishment where it's, this is a derivation or a derivative of Um, when the guy's like, you know, what, what good could come from Nazareth? Because it was, and this just shows you, there was nothing special about Jesus. He wasn't an attractive man. He wasn't from a well-to-do powerful family. He didn't have a cool job. Like, so he didn't check any of the worldly boxes of somebody that could have an incendiary impact on humanity. Right. And they, they explicitly put that in here, but focusing even in on the very, very last verse, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It's like, Hey, no faith, no miracles. Right? So it's that, that was basically what it is. It's like, we're not even going to try, but I thought it was also very interesting. One of the commentaries I read, I can't remember which one they're like, the people of his hometown probably didn't even bring anyone to him to try to get them healed. So it wasn't just, yeah, we don't think you can do this. It's like, we're not even going to test you in this. That's how that's how clear we are in the fact. And I thought about that. I was like, man, I kind of thought about my hometown of Lawton, Oklahoma. And like, what would I have to do to be rejected in my hometown? Part of it is if you live in kind of a smaller town, like what this town would have been like in that time period, everybody knew everybody. I'm sure Joseph did some bad things in his life that everybody in the village or town knew about. Same thing with Mary. Sorry, Catholics, but Mary wasn't a perfect person. And it's like, there are going to be those moments where, the, you mean that? the joseph's family like his kids kind of suck that jesus kid he's kind of cool but like man these other kids are just kind of unruly or maybe it's kind of hard to deal with them or something like that and so you're able to diminish these people before they do anything and it's it's kind of tall poppy syndrome where it's like hey your head's kind of popping up above uh the rest of us here like so we need to kind of cut you back down to size That's kind of what this feels
2: like it's like oh i think that's exactly right (laughs) every uh commentary i read said familiarity uh familiarity breeds contempt. So they're already familiar with him. They're already familiar with his family, like you were saying. Mm. So they already have contempt. Um, I think another thing that you bring up too is that he wasn't rich. He wasn't beautiful. He didn't have the greatest job, you know, but also, you know, at that time, the Pharisees and Sadducees were like super rich. They came from rich families. Then they thought that was God's blessing. Mm. So when you've got this guy who's preaching the word and he's comes from a, a carpenter, You know, they're already like, nah, I want to go off. Same thing happened to Joseph
1: when he had his dream. Um, Another, again, another dress rehearsal for Christ. He was rejected by his brother to the point that they (laughs) sold him into slavery. So, like, this is not a new thing. Um, And it's interesting, again, I'll I'll say this. I think I say this a lot. All of history bends to God's will. And he uses these things over and over. And and this is a story he is consistently telling. And it is interesting, though the uh, the family or the 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 town that is kind of like uh, nah, you got in too big for your britches, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, let us, yeah. Yeah.
2: Let us let us bring you down a notch or two. Was like it's what the Jews did to him. Yep. I mean, they crucified their own. Mm-hmm. He was a Jew, you know. And so it's just it just breeded contempt. So they had a lot of kids. They it did. did. He had some sisters. Wait a minute. Brothers, so you're brothers, telling me
0: that Mary and Joseph actually consummated their relationship and had more children it would appear to be that way (laughs) what's funny is whenever you look at catholic or or, uh, orthodox folks they will literally wind themselves into knots and be like well maybe joseph was previously married and these were kids from like a previous marriage and like others kind of it's like wait what you're saying something that sounds plausible except for the fact that there's no evidentiary basis for it what in the world are you saying the lady had sex after jesus was born yeah, I don't understand over, how that she she was, how that she was, she was, her. was married, in a marriage. She was a married, yeah. a married Jewish
2: woman. Yeah, like let's have kids. Yeah, she wants to have kids. I mean, it's it's biblical to what i have They were kids. commanded to have kids. Yeah, and it, they were married, so they were doing it in the right way, how God intended it. So. Eric,
0: you are furiously flipping through the Bible right now. Are you trying to find a, a bone to throw to the Orthodox or Catholic no, folks? No, no I'm no. just <laughs> interested to see
2: I, how they how they deal
1: with this with scripture like this. Like, how do they? I mean, I don't, and I don't know. I'm genuinely asking, how do they? How do they interpret this scripture that says, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Like there are some that would say, Oh, it's from a previous marriage, but like to your point, um, a couple I think yeah, maybe last episode of the episode before, like he couldn't have been called the son of David if he was, he if he first. wasn't the firstborn child.
2: Yeah. He wouldn't inherit that kingdom. Yeah. It's always the firstborn. So.
3: And Oh, nothing. I was looking at the word offense and they took offense at him. You know, I was reading back uh, two two episodes ago, I believe, where we were talking about uh, John the Baptist, and he, and he says, blessed is the one that does not take offense at me. Um, and here they are taking offense. So that
0: was it. Okay. Very good. Well, there's certainly more that we could talk about in Matthew 13, but we're going to leave it there for now, but come back here next Sunday where we will dig into Matthew 14. So make sure you're read through there. So you're ready to go. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Just a reminder, Crossway has hooked us up with a way for you to start your own forging table with their forging table starter set. All the instructions for how you can do that are here in the show notes, but also we've got a link to our donation page. Guys, if you like, the forging table if you like the podcast if you like anything that we've ever done we're able to do those things because we have donors everything that we do costs money that's just the way the world is so if you want us to keep putting out content that equips men to push back darkness hop on board Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, per- perpetua which is off their self-titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah